Tonight I want to go through some scriptures, and I feel a word that God has given to me, and I just pray God blesses what God has laid on my heart. I know He will, and in whatever way He chooses, I pray God just touches us tonight, and gives us the strength we need for this week, and for someone to make up their mind what they want to do with their life. Amen. If you would, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 27, and I'll begin reading in verse 9, Exodus chapter 27 and verse 9, and I'm going to read the most boring text that I can read to you on a Tuesday night, hopefully, hopefully, it doesn't put you to sleep by the time I get all the way through it, but it has a purpose, God's word has a purpose, doesn't it? Amen. Exodus chapter 27 and verse 9, it says, and this is in the creation or the instructions for the tabernacle, and we're going to read through many different verses of scripture. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of the hundred cubits long for one side. The twenty pillars thereof and their twenty sockets shall be of brass, and their hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise, for the north side of the length, in length, there shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long, and his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, and hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the cord on the west side shall be the hanging of the fifty cubits, their pillars ten, and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be 50 cubits, and the hangings of one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, and their pillars and their, th- their pillars three, and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be the hangings 15 cubits, and their pillars three, and their sockets three. And we are halfway through our text tonight. Bless God. Everybody say amen. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of 20 cubits of blue. I love blue, and this just tells me it's biblical. My Bible's blue, my notebook's blue, my suit's blue, socks blue, pants blue, shirt's blue. It was not planned. And purple and scarlet and fine twine linen wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. And all the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver, and their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. We're going to talk about the dimensions of the court, and the length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and their height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass, and all the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. And the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, and which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. Everybody say amen. Let's lay our Bibles down and let's ask God to touch us tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. somebody through your word today we ask you God to be with us God we thank you master hallelujah we love you Jesus we love you Jesus amen 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 I love you Jesus turn to somebody and say wake up amen amen you may be seated God is a righteous and holy God he's a good God our prayers when we say he's good are not just repeating words that we hear others say, but they are actually, in fact, facts that God is a good God. He's a gracious God. He is a particular God. For the Hilton, he has a plan that was laid out from the foundation of this world, and it has been executed flawlessly. There is no contingency. There has not been one objective missed 
it has been precisely executed. Tonight, I want to preach to us the pure worship of his people, pure worship of his people. And the text tonight was lengthy, and as I said before, some may consider it boring, but the word shows how detailed God was in instructing the building of the tabernacle. He was very particular. Each detail was unique and how God wanted the place of worship to be built. And so the tabernacle could house his presence for his children. For his children. And this was not a duplicate of anything that had ever been built. They didn't see this when they were in captivity in the land of Egypt. And say, remember what Pharaoh had us build? Or this Pharaoh had us build? Remember the edifice that we made for their gods as we were in captivity. Let's build one of those. It was not a rinse and repeat, but it was the original design by God. Everything was precisely prescribed, detailed measurements, what was supposed to be there. And it paints the picture for us time ago that we don't have remnants for us to go back and look at and say, oh, that's beautiful. But we can read the plans that God laid out, the materials that were used by the heathens to be their God, the elemental earthen properties were constructed to house the presence of our God for his people. They may have been okay worshiping a lump of silver or gold or a chunk of wood. But God says, I will use what your gods are to house my presence. He was showing superiority. And the instructions for God that were so detailed that in none of the possessions that were to be constructed were able to be misrepresented into a God. None of the things that the materials that were said to make it from this and this color and, and to make it in this shape and fashion, they were all to reflect back to the Creator. And the worship of the people was to be pointed to Him and not to the outside structure, which was, if I remember correctly, was not something you would drive by and say, I want to go in there. It was animal skins, and it didn't look that great. And it wasn't that popular looking, but the almighty presence of God was there and it filled the holy of holies. In Exodus chapters 27 and 20, God commands that Moses tells the children of Israel to supply a pure olive oil to light the tabernacle at all times. And I am a firm believer that if the tabernacle was still in existence, it would still have the light burning because the Bible said, you are to do this. It's interesting how when the Bible was written, you'll hear things or read things that are referenced and it'll say, and they are to this day. And it puzzles me. I'm like, so who was the last one to do? Who was that brave soul to not do what God had commanded them to do? And the responsibility fell on Aaron and his sons into their generations. And Aaron was the oldest uh, brother of Moses. And God chose Aaron and his lineage to maintain the entire tabernacle. And what we have is Moses. And we, it's interesting to read through the story of Moses. And I mentioned this. It, it's, it's ironic. When you read the story of Moses, you see the decree. Next thing you know, you see him in the bulrushes. You see him being rescued. You see him being raised by his mother. The next thing you know, he's a grown man. Going out, killing somebody. Walks up, chases off some shepherds that were harassing the priest's daughters, seven daughters, I believe. Harasses them, chases them off, takes them back to their father, the priest, lives with them, marries one of his daughters, has a family, and Moses is like on nitrous, the story of Moses. And you're like, wow, that went from just a few verses of Scripture, it seems. 
Now we're talking about him seeing the burning bush. Moses was being raised as, as an Egyptian, and we find that his brother Aaron was learning the ways in which God had called his people. Aaron was the mouthpiece for the children of Israel and began to speak while Moses had a stutter. And it's interesting to me to see all of this start to unfold as you see the story of Moses and Aaron as God gives him instructions. And, and it all had a purpose and a place. And we all sit here today for a very specific reason. And I want to talk to us tonight about the significance of the pure olive oil. Now we have um, a bottle of oil that is well-worn, well-worn. You know, this tells me prayer works. This tells me that there's benefits to having faith in God. The Bible tells us to call upon the elders of the church and they will anoint you with oil and pray for the sick and they shall recover. And I remember as a young man growing up, I would sit on this side of the church and the church I grew up in and on that side set a little bottle of olive oil and they just kept refilling it. The label was worn off that thing. But I knew as a young man, I went there from when I was uh, a baby all the way up until I think I was 13 years old, 12 years old. And I knew as soon as I seen the preacher grab that bottle of oil, God was going to do something. It was instilled in me as a young man. It wasn't, we'll see. It was God is going to do something. I've seen a man who was anointed with oil. I remember I was a young child and my father had me sitting on the platform so I would stay out of trouble. And so I'm, I had this view. And I watched a man walk up on crutches. I watched my grandfather reach over and grab that little bottle of oil, anoint the man, and the next thing I knew, I seen crutches fly through the air. And I had seen that man's leg. It was black. It was black and swollen and purple and nasty. Couldn't even put his pant leg down. Couldn't put his shoe on. Had to keep it elevated. And I watched that man as the swelling went down and the color returned, worship God and just burn a hole in the carpet because he had been on crutches prior to that. God does things for a reason. And if you've never experienced that, I promise you, just have faith in God. Just give him a chance. Just give him a chance. The commandment was for the olive oil to be harvested by grinding and not by the mechanical press. It was very specific in the scripture. The purest form of olive oil is the first drops that are broken from a green olive. That is the purest of olive oil. This is represented in the Old Testament. And we also see it in the book of Revelations as we reference the golden candlestick. And it states that the candlestick will be between two green olive trees. And on either side of the candlestick flowing to keep the light burning. And this was commanded of them that every household would contribute to keep the olive oil filled and to keep the light burning as Aaron and his sons maintained the light. We wonder how much it would cost each family in terms of time, resources, and what effort it would have to take. And you begin to look back, and everybody accepted it as a responsibility. I would correlate that very same responsibility for each and every one of us. Every family, whether you represent seven, like myself, a tribe, or if you are a solo Indian sitting here today, you have a responsibility to keep the house full of light. You have to walk in light. You have to live in light. You have to have the light hid within you and let it shine out of you. It's not something you drop in your pocket. And there's probably a Sunday school song we could sing about that tonight. We're not going to put it under a bushel. We're not going to hide it. The scripture tells us this. But it is our responsibility for us to maintain the light. How do we maintain the light, Brother Goff? It's an intentional act. It is intentional. Now, you can 
do things on accident. And someone says, what were you thinking? How did you do that? Why would you do that? Well, I thought, or I felt, or if something that I thought was a good idea. And I'll tell on Brother Xander, last week, he was up in his bedroom with his two other siblings, and they have a game they've been playing that's since been um, terminated. It was where they put blindfolds over themselves and try to make it through the house. And they try to find each other. And there is none of this Marco Polo business given hints. It's a, um, can I hear them rustling or how can I find them? Well, Xander decided to get up on top of his little pirate's treasure chest that was in, I'm sorry, he decided to uh, stand in a, in a position in his room and while the other two were hiding, he decided to then position himself to jump on the bed. And as he purposed in his heart, he was confident that the bed was before him. But the bed wasn't there, was it, brother? What was in front of you? It was a pirate's treasure chest that met him on the chin and the chest as he just threw his whole weight onto what he thought was going to be the bed. It was intentional. He had good intentions. He had good intent. He was expecting the pillow top mattress to greet him. But it was far from that. It was a wooden chest that he comes in with blood streaming out of his mouth. And he doesn't know how much blood because he hadn't seen a mirror yet. Sister Goff grabs him and grabs a towel and starts dabbing. He's like, how much blood? How much blood? He's getting faint and having to take a knee. and He had good intentions. Our worship sometimes has good intentions. We think it's of the purest of nature. We think that we're lifting him up and satisfying his needs. But when we step back and look at our worship, sometimes we need to evaluate it just as critical as we are when we grab something that says, you know, and I, I'll give you an example. If someone was to tell me that, Brother Goff, you're not going to believe it. They have created Chipotle that is fat-free. I would grab that label, and I would start critiquing it. Like, mm-mm, no, no, it's not. But we're willing to let our worship come in and just be okay. We'll take something that says, I'm on a diet. And we sit there and we look at our macros. We're putting things in apps. We are analyzing irons and magnesium and potassium and things that we can't even pronounce. So granular because we're so worried about what goes in our body so we can achieve a goal. But then when worship happens, it's just a hallelujah. Everybody lift their hands. Hallelujah. There is no inspection. There is no reflection of saying, I could do better. I'm the type of person that I'm not a perfectionist. However, every time I do something and I'm done, I feel like I could go back and do it better. Tonight's message, I will drive home tonight saying, I could have done this better. But I want to do what God wants to do. I want to say what God wants me to say. In our nature, it's easy for us to fall back and kind of hide the label and say, it really doesn't matter. I collectively worshiped. But what are you going to do when you're by yourself? What's that worship going to be? What is it going to look like whenever you're by yourself and there's nobody else around to pour oil on you and strike a match and light that flame or someone else for you to rub off on and say, they've got a light. Light me and get me going. But we have to have the intentional act. There are no requirements from God that are ever pointless. As we've seen, and the reason why I read the text that I did, it was so specific. He had the colors. He had the weavings. He had the materials. He had the weights. He had what it was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to be represented in in every aspect of the tabernacle. And we know that God is particular. Everybody said, yes, he's particular at the beginning of my message tonight. 
But then when we start talking about us, when we start talking about how the sausage is made and what makes us, what compiles us, this fleshly body, we don't want to look at the details. We look at oil and how it represents our churches today. And we are to continually fill the house of God with light. We are to maintain it for the sake of our future generations, just like Aaron was for his sons. And respect and honor should be given to those who have maintained the light over the years. And I thank God that there have been faithful saints that have kept the house of God full of worship over the years so that I can have a house to come worship in and lift my hands and be able to testify and sing songs and be ministered to and bring my family because somebody was faithful. Because God was faithful and proved himself to be faithful. The reason we're here today is because God wants our worship. This sounds simplistic, but sometimes we have to get back to the very basics because there are folks here sitting today that have settled for just ordinary oil. It's, it's okay. It's not of the purest. It's not of those first drops. It just says oil. And they're okay. You know who you are because it's obvious. You may not think it's obvious, but whenever real worship begins to flow in a service and you're okay with just the little half-hearted amen or just a little bit of, yeah, that feels good. Everybody worships God in a different way. Every one of us. So I'm not criticizing. What I'm trying to press towards is that we should give God the purest of worship. The purest of worship. You know, our worship we sometimes gauge based upon how the service went. Whether or not it was a red hot shouting, burn the carpet, no preaching, just worship that took over a song service and true worship. And we gauge our level of worship based upon the outcome of that service. I'm here to tell you that worship that came was not because it was by chance. It was because somebody gave 100%. And if we're okay just giving a little bit, we did not do anything to bring in that. But somebody, the reason churches have services that blow up and preaching that blows up is there's an anointing, there's a touch. But I'm here to talk to us about the times when you can come in and you say, God, this service is just for me. And I don't care who else is here. I don't care who's going to do what. But my worship is going to mean something tonight. Those times should happen more often than they don't, than they do. They should be something that consumes us. And I can tell you the more, and I can tell you from my own personal experience, the more I pursued after God, the harder the devil pushes on me. The harder, whenever I make commitments to God, the harder he pushes and tries to take up more of my time. Every bit of it. If I say, you know what? As a family, look, we're going to go do this. We're going to go work at the church. We're going to go do this. But there's something I have to prepare for, a Bible study. The devil will do everything possible to make it to where I have no time to do that Bible study. No time to prepare for a message. No time to read my Bible. He will do everything possible so I cannot maintain the light of God in my life. And if you don't acknowledge that, or if you don't struggle with that, may God bless you. However, maybe you're not committed enough. Because... The Bible tells us this is going to be a fight. And if you're not fighting, you're not on the battlefield. If you don't have nicks and blood and wounds and going back for first aid, you're not on the battlefield. I remember watching Kaiser last summer. We were out there 
playing airsoft with some young men. And as fathers, we, they said, you have to have um, protection on, even if you're going to be a bystander. And so at the area where we all got together, everybody's getting all their personal protective equipment on, their PPE on, and everybody's all suited up. Everybody had the same safety standard. If you're going to be around it, this is what you have to wear. This is how you have to conduct yourself. This is how you have to have protection. This is the, the glasses you have to have. You cannot go out there and not have this equipment. But it was okay for me to go out and watch a skirmish and young men have fun and cry after they got hit. And, you know, those things that happen when they begin to realize that it's fun to shoot people, but it's not fun to get shot. But as a father, I was dressed the part. I stood on the sidelines, and if you were to see me walking back, you would have thought I was playing airsoft. But I wasn't. I looked the part, but I wasn't playing. I didn't have one welt. I didn't have anything about me that says this is going to hurt. And when I show Sister Golf where it started to bleed or try to get some sympathy because us men like bruises and black, who, who, what boy didn't want a black eye when they were in grade schools because everybody could ooh and ah and say, what did you do? You're so brave. I got mine because I got hit in the eye with a rock. It wasn't because I got in a fight. But we can look the part and stand on the sidelines and go through the safety briefing of pre-service prayer. We can say, yep, we're here, acknowledge, yep, preacher gets up, safety briefing, here's the teams, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have worship, we're going to have prayer, we're going to have a message. And everybody, yep, I got it. And you can walk out that door and everybody that greets you is going to think you went to church. On a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, Thursday night prayer, Tuesday night Bible study, everybody's going to make the assumption that you went to church. But if you didn't come looking for something, if you didn't have the welts from the airsoft BBs, if you didn't have the grass stains and the bug bites because you were crawling and getting into the moment, if you don't have the sweaty handkerchief or the, the snotty nose rag that you've thrown in your purse or you don't have the, the deodorant that's really working overtime to keep you a pleasant saint in the house of God. But if you don't have the overflowing spirit of God, you are just a participant. You can only participate in church so long. When I joined the railroad back in 2000, and I had come from a, I would say, I wouldn't say a vast electrical experience, but I came with electrical experience to work for the railroad. It did not take long for the union guys to come talk to me and say, hey, Douglas, it's good to have you here. You're signed up. You're a uh, journeyman electrician, You're talented. We want you to do good here at the railroad. However, Missouri is not a right-to-work state, so... We're going to let you ride through this 60-day periods, but within 60 days, you have to be paying union dues. Otherwise, you will lose your job. All right. Got it. So I started paying my dues when I was supposed to. Saints of God, you can only ride the bus in church so long. You have to get on board. You can only sit here and warm a pew and sit there and do your little hand wave but there's got to be something that says, my worship has now have to be pure. Those first drops. It's just like paying tithes, and at your last 10 bucks, you messed up. Your worship, if you've given everything to your job, and I understand work takes everything out of you some days, and you come to church, and you're like, I just need God to touch me. God, I'm here, and that's as far as you can get it. But I have succumbed to that, and I'm not perfect, but I have sat there intentionally at work and says, devil, you're not getting my worship. I'm not going to let you soak everything out of me and wring me out at work where I can't come to church and worship. There's got to be something that pours from me. There is an intentional act of worship. Something has to be born within us. 
And you know what? When you begin to worship God, the Word of God takes on a whole new light. And I, you know me, I have no problem being transparent. But I began to evaluate myself several years ago. And I began to look at things and criticize myself pretty harshly. And I believe it's justified. And I believe God is going to help me. But if I was to look back over my life, I've been living for God 23 years this year. Been preaching since probably, uh, I would say, 21 of those in some fashion. But I cannot grab not one soul by the hand. Not one. I cannot grab not one human soul by the hand and bring him in here and say, Brother Goff won me to God. Zero. Now I have taught Bible studies. I have worked with people seemingly to no end. But I cannot tell you that I have walked in to somebody's home and taught them a Bible study and they came and were baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, all because Brother Goff dug them out and helped them. And Sister Goff and I were talking about this and we began to name names of all the people that we could remember that we have dealt with and worked on and prayed for and poured our lives into. But you know what the Bible tells us? He that winneth souls is wise. And my prayer has been... God, make me wise. And in this pursuit, God has opened doors that I never thought would be opened. But it has caused me to look back over my entire life and look at things. I know God says, the Bible tells us that another plants, another waters, another one gets the increase. But sometimes I felt like I was just trying to make a scrape in the dirt for someone to plant a seed. Sometimes in my life, I didn't feel effective in the kingdom of God. And it impacted my worship. It impacted my worship in such a way that I felt like I was an absolute failure. I was not able to achieve the basic principles of being a Christian. Convert somebody. And it impacted me. And then I stepped back and said, you know what, God? You have led me to countless people that I can begin to name to you that some are still in church and some have moved halfway across the world and are living in sin and have made that choice. But I was not going to let the devil let me be defeated based upon I was not doing something that he could throw something in my face and say, you're not a soul winner. And it began to affect my worship and my walk with God and my ability to pray. And I began to say, God, I have been a tool in your hand, and I want you to use me as you see fit. It was something that was uh, uh, impacted me in such a way that I didn't feel effective in ministry. And like, why give a Bible study? No one ever comes. And why just teach a Bible study to your family? Because no one ever comes. And it began to eat at me, and I began to look back, and I say, God, where is my priority wrong? Because I was willing to listen to the devil's voice instead of God's voice. I was willing to let my life be impacted. When the devil said, I want to be lifted up, he tried to impose his will on me and impact my walk with God. When I needed to step back and say, God, we're going to go back to zero. I'm going to let my worship be pure. My walk with you to be pure. My reading of the Bible to be pure. Everything is going to be the first fruits. I don't care what it costs me. It's going to be the first fruits. I don't care. And I remember the verse of scripture that I love. It talks about when the, when the seed falls to the ground and dies. It's been a prayer of mine for years and years. And God, whatever you have to do to me, plant me in the soil that will allow me to grow. My worship began to change. And I can't say I can sit there and shout and dance. And I ran into a, a brother uh, just a couple weeks ago. I was preaching. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and says, I, I knew your grandfather. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I knew your grandfather. We used to 
go to church sometimes together, and we go to brush arbors, and we would do great services. And he says, your grandfather knew how to worship God. And he began to tell me stories, and it smote my heart. And I said, God, where did I miss it? Am I giving you the oil that is not the first press of the olive oil? Am I giving you just a little bit and moving on and satisfying myself with that? Or am I giving it to you? We are to walk worthy of our calling. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech ye that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And we find in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if we will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. And these words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And holy nation, what was cast away by others is now consecrated as the nation unto God. A peculiar people, meaning distinguishable from others. I remember as Sister Golf and I were traveling in a foreign city that did not speak English and I had done my research and they said if you really want to fit in don't dress like an American and so we didn't have jeans they said don't wear jeans don't wear tennis shoes don't wear the things that Americans wear and I knew that we had achieved it when a lady walked up to us and began to speak to us um, and begin to greet us and talk to us and then we had to convince her very quickly was not difficult whatsoever that we had no idea what she was talking about and that we would not be able to help her in any way by using the German language, which I know nothing. Guten Tag. I think that's about all I remember. But I knew at that point that I had blended in, but I could do no value. Saints of God, how long have we been on a pew and added no value? How long have we been in an apostolic church where something hasn't shook us to our core and we walk in and we say, Pastor, tonight is different. I am going to be the saint of God he's called me to be. When are you going to be serious enough where you walk in and you say, Devil, I'm tired of listening to your voice, your lies, every delusion you try to impress on me. I am different from here on out. What service will it be where you'll say, God, break me, and it's the first drops that you get this time instead of it being leftovers from everything else? What service, what message will it take, what song, what testimony, what saint of God, what move of God will have to touch your life in such a special way where you say, I can't get enough of church. I can't get enough of God. What service? What is that service? Because I've been here and we worship together and the red hot ones, everybody's shouting and worshiping. But yet, my flesh would result back and say, I've got this to do when I leave. I really need to get out of here. I've got this going on. And I wasn't changed. Nothing changed me. I was okay to find every excuse to come into church late. I, it was okay to make up, well, I got to work late, you know, uh, you know, 10 years ago doing this job and five years ago and it, different things. And it was easy to come up with excuses where I could just come in just in time to say I was at church. And it's easy, even on a fast day, to say, well, I was late to church because I, I had to stop and get something to eat because it was fast day and... That's a terrible excuse. A terrible excuse. God wants us to be ever so close to Him. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, as I close tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, seeing we, we. Everybody say we. It's not French for yes or whatever it is. It's we. It's this. We. We have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we 
faint not. And have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world, the lowercase g, the lowercase g is not our God, to whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have a ministry. Your worship is a ministry. I want to take my ministry serious. It's not a game. I have a role to play. Some of us have a role to play that we haven't been playing. We need to step up and play the role that God has called us to be. Ask him to break us and the first drops. Be the pleasing worship unto him. Revival comes, and you're going to get sick and tired of me saying this, talking about revival. But until we have revival, we have not accomplished our calling. You need to get sick and tired of seeing empty pews. And the pews you see are not defeat, they're opportunity. You need to change your mindset. That is not defeat. That is from the very root of the devil. And he wants you to believe that those pews are empty for a reason. That we made that happen. We caused that. It's your fault. It's your attitude. No. No, it's not. They are the greatest opportunity that you are faced with tonight. This section that Brother Albritton's sitting in, that's my challenge. Fill it with every soul I can. And when I feel that one, I want to feel this one. I want my guests that God has so graciously given me to be in contact with, to have to fight for a seat over your guests. And we say, hey, you know, I normally sit on this side, but brother this and sister this has been bringing so many that you're just going to have to find wherever. You will not be able to sit with me. I'm, I apologize I would love for, I'll try to save you a seat, but the house is full. I want that to be my worship unto God. It's to where everything inside of me says, God, no matter what you have to do, no matter what you have to take away, no matter what you have to tell the preacher to tell me, I want to do it. Because revival comes at a cost. Sometimes it comes at a physical cost. I listened to a man preaching today, said, you know what? You may look at me and say, I want to be just like him. But he says, you didn't have to hold your baby when it was dead and bury it. And life changed you to the point that God could work in your life. Don't say, I want to be just like them. You call me crazy, but I did that once. And I said, God, even if you have to do X detail to me. I want to be just like this person. And God honored my my request. And he did that to me. And it was a very clear, clear lesson that I learned to never say I want to be like a man or a woman. I want to be like him. God honored my request, and I'm so glad that he lifted that from me, because what I now know, I don't want to be like that man. Our worship is to God, never to a man or a woman or a building or an edifice or a memorial. Our worship is to God. Can we stand tonight? 
The timing of God is impeccable. It is absolutely impeccable and without failure. I'm reminded of a promise that God gave to the children of Israel. He says, I am going to drive out all the nationalities that ended in ites. Can't remember them all. He says, I will use hornets to empty the land before you. And it would not come too soon because he's very particular. He says, I don't want the lamb to return unto itself and become wild. God will give us what we need when we have the capability to maintain it. Woe unto us that get so impatient that say, I've got to have, got to have, but we never give. If you want revival, God's not going to just pour it out when you're not ready. In your life, let's talk about you as a person. God is never going to pour out revival when you're not ready for it. As we use the example of the children of Israel, it says that he sent hornets into the land and began to purge the land of their enemies. God fought their battles. And the angel of the Lord went in and secured the land. And right behind that promise was the children of Israel. They gave to him and he fulfilled his promise to them. Salvation is not given as a one-time experience where you get up, you fill with the Holy Ghost, God gives you that evidence of speaking in tongues, you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you walk away and say, I'm so filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm done. That's not it. You've got to keep giving of that worship. You've got to keep pouring that oil from the first break of your sacrifice. You can't just keep, okay, I'll be all right. Everything's going to be good. We have to have something settled down deep in our heart that we ask God to make us better stewards of His grace. And that we maintain our own lives and are working the land of sinners and new converts around us. I made this comment Sunday night and I'll make it again. Stop going to work to pay bills. You go to work for revival. Stop going to the grocery store to get food. You go for someone needs to talk to you. And I am the chiefest of those who have not maximized that impact in my life. Sister Goff can tell you, it seems like we can go anywhere and I run into somebody I know. It is almost without fail. There's been one that has smote my heart that I did not obey God. It was the time I was sitting down with a man of God. Sister Goff was sitting there. This happened just a few weeks ago. I had received a word of God. And the man said, you need to obey the word of God and go back and let God lead you through this transition through the work you're dealing with and you need to go back and help your pastor. And I felt the presence of God. I mean, it was a witness of the Holy Ghost. I mean, I'm sitting in a, in a, a restaurant, tears in my eyes. It was an absolute hand of God. And I look up and there's a gentleman I work with. God said, invite him to church. And I sat there like a fool. I just had God speak to me with his word. And I looked up, talked to the man, and did not invite him to church. What if that was his one time? I chose to give God the fourth drip, the fifth drip, and not the first press. Woe is me. I have to live with that. Going to work saying that man's heart may have been just perfect for me to come in and say, Tony, I feel like you need to come to church, church with me. We need to do a Bible study. It was out of the work environment. I may never get that choice again. But next time, it will happen. Next time, it will happen. God lets things happen to us for a reason. Had something terrible happen yesterday. 
it put me at the doctor's office. Go to the hospital, walk in the door. Not We don't have a clue why this is going on. Walk in the door, turn the corner, and Sister Golf says, look who's here. It's been a guy that's been at Bible study, has sat outside our door and listened to our Bible studies in Roland Park, working at the community center, but never sat inside because he worked there, but has been sitting out there almost every Bible study. And I say, God, we're here for a reason. I walked out of there with no explanation for why I was there. Sister Golf and I talked about it. We says, he was the reason. We have to stop doing things for ourselves and do them because somebody, somebody needs this peace. Somebody is dependent upon us giving that first drop. Somebody's soul is dependent upon the first drop. We, we need to humble ourselves. I'm not perfect. For the God, I have been so transparent. You know I'm not perfect. I pray God, keep giving me these opportunities because I hunger, I hunger for revival. It seems like can't get enough of the word I can't get enough of church it's four times a week teach Bible studies on Wednesdays I'm like I don't feel like I'm doing enough I'm the least I I feel like why did I wait 20 something years to fall so in love with God why did I give away the first drips to this world because I can never get them back because souls right now Depend upon my worship, my sacrifice to Him. And as God is my witness, I will never let those opportunities pass by again because I have to have revival. Can we lift our hands and talk to Him tonight?